Hello, podcast fans. This is Falcon Paladin coming to you with his co-caster, Wade, and a very special guest today on the uh, Falcon Paladin Hour with me is Wade as usual. How's it going, Wade? I'm good. How are you going? I'm doing very well. It rained today. It doesn't happen a lot where I am. So Utah's a desert officially, so it's not going to rain a whole bunch. And it was just nice to sit out on the back porch and kind of watch it and listen to it and smell it. And I like rain. And with us is our very special guest. It is Neuro Zerg. How's it going, Neuro? I'm doing well. Thank you very much for having me on. Excellent. So one of our podcast listeners actually suggested we get a third person on here and said, I'd love to hear Neuro. He is a super interesting guy. And I said, you know what? I've got a, I, I've got a pretty good relationship with Neuro. I think I cast his games and talk about a lot on my channel. So I figured maybe I can talk him into coming on to the pod once or twice. So here he is. We've got a more StarCraft-centric episode here for you today. I figured since we have the talents of a very intelligent, very skilled GM Zerg player, we shouldn't put those to waste. And that's going to be the plan for today. Obviously, we'll cover the other stuff, movies, books, TV shows. We can embarrass ourselves talking about geography and politics, all the things you come to expect from the Falcon Paladin Hour. Well, I was going to say, you just said that Utah is officially a desert, yeah? You realize I'm in Australia. The entire country is a desert. No. The entire country is? Well, no, but a large percentage. <laughs> okay. See, I'm already getting the geography wrong. Yeah, there's, there's, there are some parts of your country that are right on the coast and, like, right in the path of storm yeah, yeah. things. But the, the coast is, like, a fraction of the entire country. Yes. The rest of the inside is just all red desert. Like, the Simpson Desert is massive. Yes, because it's just so far away from the coast that rain can't get there. It dies long before it arrives in the middle. So what the Sahara Desert's all about as well. Sahara is just a giant part of Africa that's in the middle of everything and so far away from the ocean it can't get rain. I've driven through Utah. You have? Yeah. I'm assuming east to west. Or no, west I to took east. the diagonal. You did? Yeah, more you or went, less. Uh, I-15 and basically then. Yeah, so the objective was driving from Dallas, which is where I lived at the time, to Vancouver, Canada, to establish oh. an online poker account and play there full-time for a while. And that was sort of the the pre-neuro where I focused really hard on literature on mentality. So mm -hmm. I, you said you talk a lot about books on the show. The, the most important informative book for me as neuro was probably The Mental Game of Poker by Jared Tendler. He's the psychology coach for a lot of poker players, helps them manage emotions, take the swings, think about improvement, and that sort of thing. And in esports, we don't have the same body of literature like poker does of, these are not books to help you play your hands better, these are books to help you manage your mind better, which was fantastic. And I just saw Idra off in the distance rage quitting <laughs> from huge leads, and it's like, these people need help. And I feel like there's an obvious huge niche that can be filled by pre-existing literature. Yeah, I think there's a huge mental component to all games, for sure. StarCraft can definitely benefit from some uh, some mental health training as well. I'm pulling up it on Amazon here. It's on Amazon for $19 hardcover, it looks like. And 10 bucks ebook on the Kindle. So that's a pretty darn good deal. Got amazing reviews. I mean, it's got five and a half star reviews on 121. So, speaking of reviews. Yeah. So, as long as we're talking about reviews, we do want to remind everybody who's listening to the podcast that we are having an ongoing contest. Uh, if you leave us a review 
on the iTunes uh, iTunes store. We're only available to see reviews on iTunes, not other places. You may be listening to the pod, whatever they may be. Then, first of all, the country that gets the most number of reviews will get $5 and a cookie to share among every single one of you. And the person that has the most entertaining, the most funny review will get a copy of... I, I'm. Why am I blanking on this? What did we Starcraft promise them? Remastered. Yes, Brood War Remastered. That's what it was. I was thinking that, but I was like, if I say that and it's wrong, it'll be so embarrassing. Starcraft Brood War Remastered. So put on your creative thinking caps and be funny and throw that up in the iTunes and you might win. We've got some people that have put, some, put up some reviews already. So definitely get that taken care of. Whew. All right. So looking at your channel, Neuro, looks like you got started. Your first upload to your channel was on September of 2013. So you are coming up on four years here of YouTube experience. Did, did you know it had been this long? Mm, four years. That makes sense. I made some content a little bit earlier than that on a different channel. I was Jedi Vivid for the Star Wars Old Republic Online game. Mm, so I, I made some funny videos about that. I put on a Jedi robe and jumped around with my friend and joked about being a pro Jedi shadow. So a lot of my content was inspired by two main places, Pure Ownage, the Canadian troop who did the, it was more RTS focused stuff and they referenced WoW and some other things. And then Athene was the other big one where it's the more IRL stuff. It's not just covering things within the game. It's what a gamer's life might look like, but it's in a silly, almost Monty Python fashion. Yeah, so parody in some yeah. way then. That sounds like a lot of fun. What's the name of that channel? Is it still up? Mm, I don't think so. I mean, it might Probably be. dead. I think it's under my name if I search that. Oh, yeah. Three videos. Pro, <laughs> Pro Jedi Shadow. I did a video on Hutball, which is a, a game mode within Star Wars where it's not just about killing each other with lightsabers. It's also about getting the ball from one side to the other side as in American football. And so many people would lose focus of that. So it was kind of a, uh -huh. a joke video calling them out for just slicing people up, which is very fun in their defense. I think Star Wars was one of the best games that didn't get the attention that it deserved. The mechanics of it were really great. The story was really fun. But if you're up against WoW, you're always going to lose. That's the thing. There have been so many MMOs that have come out that have been officially the WoW killers, and it just doesn't really work that way. It's so hard to take it down. It's just Blizzard is a monolith in that area for sure. So what got you interested in starting StarCraft casting and strategy? Well, I played Han at a near tournament level before I started getting into StarCraft, and the game was in a bit of a decline. They were adding on a bunch of heroes and skins, and it seemed like the developers weren't really trying to keep it clean and pure. They were trying to squeeze as much money out as they could. And my team fell apart. We lost a few players. And I saw StarCraft, and it's like, well, this is a 1v1 discipline. If I want to most effectively leverage the edges of mindset on my own, I can just play StarCraft. I don't need a team. I can just try and get GM. So it seemed like StarCraft had a very straightforward path of advancing your own skill building your own product in a way that didn't rely on other people showing up and the cohesion of a team unit. 
was this the first time you'd heard of StarCraft? Were you aware of it before this? I was introduced to StarCraft by the same friend who got me into MOBA games, into Han and Dota, and I played WoW with him. He got me StarCraft Wings of Liberty, and I thought Protoss looked really cool, so I played that, starting out in Bronze League, which was a very frustrating time. I would say it's one of the most frustrating periods in my whole gaming career, just because I was going from being a near-tournament-level Han player to being totally lost and oblivious about what to focus on in StarCraft. And then, out of the shadows came this build order. Maybe some of you have heard of it. It's Foregate. Yes, I was going to say, and then you found the glory of the Foregate and your world opened up. Yes, I could beat almost anyone in, <laughs> in Gold League. So I got into Platinum League, and that was pretty cool. Oh, I remember those days. I was a Zerg back in Wings of Liberty, and the Foregate came around, and I was just getting annihilated by it time after time. I was desperately searching the internet for anybody to teach me, please, how to stop this. And I found HD StarCraft, actually. He had a tutorial for Zergs on how to handle the Foregate and figured it out, learned how to scout it, learned how to stop it. And that was a major, major uh, step towards me being interested in what this YouTube StarCraft community was all about. So, oh, the memories. And my switch to Zerg was kind of a, a silly, straightforward one where I just wanted to be able to play the race for the campaign when it was going to come out. And it turns out the Heart of the Swarm campaign was super easy. So... I didn't need to race switch, but I just I saw a Zerg Knight as somebody once and they were trapped on the low ground and they couldn't go into their main and it was just a huge swarm of Zerg destroying all the production. I was like, this I need more of this in my life. <laughs> so I switched and never went back to Protoss. I do off race with it every now and then, maybe one to two days a week I'll play some Protoss games, but I don't get bored of Zerg. Yeah, that, the Nidus is definitely something that's influenced me in my StarCraft career. Uh, that's the opening sound for my little Falcon Paladin opener. Uh, just the sound of the Nidus where I feel like strikes fear into the heart of all who hear it. And it's just a really good representation of what Zerg can be. I know, I shudder every time I hear it. <laughs> my Terran heart beats with fear. With just abject terror, you're frantically searching the map. Where is it? Where is it? Looking around. Come on, come on, come on. Yeah, and before I know it, there's fifty thousand lings in my base, and I'm crying. It's a hell portal. You don't know what's <laughs> going to come out, or how much it could also be a fake. Oh, that is true. Oh, that is true. I, yeah, I was watching you stream today, and you just kept throwing down Nidus in the Terran's base on uh, Defender's Landing, I think it was, mm -hmm. and like half of them didn't have anything in it, and then every now and then a ling or two would pop out. And... Yeah, that was a tough game. Mass Ghost Liberator tank. Is very difficult to break. Ooh. It was Bubbles. Bubbles is a, a seasoned veteran player. He was, I think, a pro gamer with Random a while back, which is a very, very rare thing. So he can play all three at a mid to high GM level, and you can play a lot of different styles. So probably one of the most diverse StarCraft people who's still active in the scene. Sounds Random like, players are a very rare breed. Sounds like Crank. Is he still putting stuff out? Mm, yeah, Crank still puts out stuff. Yeah, I know he. I'm subscribed to his YouTube channel, but I don't catch his stream much. And every now and then, he take viewer suggestions and just do crazy odd things. Yeah, it looks like he's still uploading pretty much daily to his YouTube channel, so that's cool. Yeah, Crank's a lot of fun. Yeah, those like you said, those random players are just so impressive to be such at a high, such a high level. 
with so many different races, just fantastic. Really, really fun to, to experience. So looking over the YouTube list of videos that you have, there's a lot of stuff that is titled, for example, Keep Fighting, uh, Mentality Boost, Colon Perspective. Here's one about Focus from about a year ago. So what is your, I would say, what is your motivation for doing these more general videos rather than ones focused on StarCraft specifically? Well, I come from a background in cognitive science. That's what I got my bachelor's in. And one of the things that really struck me when I was in my psychology and cognitive science classes at university is a lot of the basic awareness of limits to human memory, attention, how focus works, how heavy the brain is and how much of our calories it consumes, what biases we have, how we make errors in judgment. All of this stuff seemed incredibly important to me for everyone, just in a day-to-day -day capacity. Why are we not taught this in earlier education so everyone can get it and you don't have to specialize at the university level. So being neuro is sort of like me communicating that level of knowledge to laypersons in the esports scene. And the cool thing about making this content in esports is people are looking for clear edges so they can rise through the ranks in the competition. And mindset is a really big frontier where people can make tremendous gains, not just in their results and how well they move up, but also their ability to enjoy the process of playing and to manage their tilt and not shit the bed. That's something that I definitely feel like I need to work on. <laughs> when I play StarCraft, which isn't as often as I'd like to just because uh, a full-time job and wife and kids and uploading is uh, it's a lot of stuff. But when I play, yeah, it's definitely easy to slip into that tilt mentality, to slip into, oh, this is imbalanced or, oh, why did I do that? And just get really down on decisions that I make and reactions that I have. So, yeah, I can definitely see the benefit of being able to just have more stability, just have more calm throughout those decisions and just kind of have a more uh, a balanced approach to the game. So, yeah, I'm glad you upload these. It seems like they get a lot of attention as well, mm -hmm. just kind of looking through uh, the view counts on your videos. And those are some of your more, more popular popular things, probably just for the uh, the general general applicability of the lessons. Yeah, a lot of those topics were requested by viewers and patrons. So I stayed at the team house with Polt, Violet, and Jack Attack for six months. And I did a Kickstarter for that. So a lot of those videos were people who contributed 100 bucks or more to that campaign. And they got to ask a question and specify what they would like addressed in that. So it has been a sort of supply and demand thing. A lot of people will ask, why don't you do even more of these? The YouTube channel, building that up is more of my secondary front. My primary is the Twitch stream. So this type of thing, I'm not rolling in the dough from the YouTube channel. It's the Twitch stream first, and then the YouTube channel is the thing that I'm building up on the side. It's really hard to build a YouTube channel. Amen. Amen, brother. <laughs> <laughs> it is incredibly hard these days. Uh, but, you know, just I just always kind of felt like keep at it, keep things fresh, keep adding new content and new spins on things and new features. It looks like you've got some stuff playing Warcraft 3, which is a lot of fun. Just keep it switched up for your viewers, and then they'll always have something new to come back to. So as far as your journey to GM goes, I'm kind of curious as to how that worked out. Were you 100% confident you could make GM in StarCraft, or were there times you felt like maybe it was too big of a hurdle? Uh, I think I always felt like I could do it 
based on the people I had seen who were GM and the edges that I felt like I had, it was something that I didn't really doubt too much of myself. I'm very lucky. I had very supportive parents. My childhood was basically great, all rosy and all that type of stuff. So I didn't really have a bunch of voices in my life of people saying, you can't do this, you're going to fail. So I didn't really have those thoughts myself. For me, the process from going up the leagues, once I really got to Masters was when I started to try and specify what my edges were going to be. Because the Master players who want GM, they want it pretty bad. And they're going to be trying really hard. So you can't really expect to just lazily mass a bunch of ladder games and get promoted. So getting coaching is a huge edge. Having someone look at your games, be able to objectively see what your leaks are, where you should work on improving, that sort of thing. So I got coached by Petraeus, Pig, and Fatal Bunny before I got GM the first time. And I've been coached since then still, and I think it's hugely important. Another one is just raw game time, the amount of time you put in. Mental stability, which I felt like I had a huge edge from the poker background and cognitive science. And then the mechanics of how efficiently you interact with your hotkeys and your bases and your camera management and all that. So those combined together, plus I did boxing in university and I never lost because I was always faster than people. So I felt like just in the basic dexterity front, I was pretty far ahead of the curve. The amazing thing about StarCraft GMs though is all of those people are pretty much ahead of the curve. So it's not a huge advantage anymore. It's it's kind of like they're all fast and I'm trying to keep up with like Jason I played today. He's very fast. Jason the Terran, the juggernaut. Yeah, I've cast a bunch of Jason. He is a terrifyingly efficient Terran player for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so getting to GM you feel like is about speed, decision-making, keeping yourself uh, mentally focused once you're there. It's kind of just keeping your head above water because everybody there is pretty much has the same game skills. Yeah, I would say it's kind of like sculpting where you have the early game, the mid game, and the late game. And there are a lot of rough edges in everyone's play. Diamond players have more rough edges, master players have fewer, and then GMs have fewer still. And you're trying to remove the most obvious mistakes that are causing you to fall behind against better players. So if you can tighten up your early game first, then you'll be in a better spot in all of your mid games. And then if you can tighten up your mid game second in all your matchups, then your late game is going to look really good. Most people focus too much on, did I build the wrong units? And not enough on that polish of trying to minimize the damage you take from the first Reaper. Or if you're the Terran, trying to maximize the effect and the survivability of the first Reaper. Those early stages are hugely impactful because StarCraft is a very, very snowball-y game where the player who gets the momentum and takes the advantage can more easily take different advantages as they want them. What was something your coaches pointed out to you that you hadn't seen yourself the first time you got into GM during that process? Mm, Probably things like my management of attention is one that people don't usually think about. The games are so frantic, it's quite hard to know what to focus on and what the rhythm of your action should look like. So one example was Fatal Bunny pointed out that my injects tend to fall off around 10 minutes in pretty much every game. The armies are getting large and I'm usually focused on some stuff and then I'll trade my maxed army and then I won't have enough larva to remax effectively because my injects fell off at around 10 minutes. 
the match is so intense that I wouldn't notice that really because I'm focused on keeping my army alive or defending harassment or something like that. But so, all of a sudden you're larva starved and you're like, what's going on? Yeah. The timing of your expansions, when to take a fourth base, what you should transition into, what the key scout timings are. There's just so much going on. And a lot of times we we assume that we were doing better than we actually were. And we turn a blind eye to a lot of the mistakes that we couldn't possibly focus on while also playing the game. So having that neutral set of eyes, they don't even need to be a super high-level player. There's a real-life friend of mine who's only ever made it up to Silver League in StarCraft. And he's helped me immensely because he'll come into my stream and he'll see me play and he'll be like, wow, your minimap looks pretty dark. You could work on your Overlord spread a bit. That's totally valid. You don't have to be good to give someone great advice. So I'm very open to the whole backseat gaming type of thing. If you can formulate a really good piece of advice for someone who's playing the game and do that in a compassionate way of, I noticed this in your play, what would a solution be for that? Then you basically use the, the viewership as its own sort of swarm of a coach. You have a bunch of little minds that are all kind of stewing about what's happening and they can be helpful. A lot of people try and shut that off and make excuses for themselves of, oh, well, you weren't playing the game, so you can't talk about that. Or, oh, you're not high enough lead to give me advice. It's not a very good mindset to have, but a lot of streamers have that, especially with StarCraft. They do. That's something that I really like about the StarCraft subreddit, specifically for all things Terran, all things Protoss, and all things Zerg, is if you come to them with a replay explaining, I lost this game, I'm not quite sure why, here are some things I recognize that I messed up on, but can you help me see ways I can improve? You'll get honest feedback pretty much 100% of the time. And if you can, yeah, like you said, if you can be humble enough about it and recognize that, you know, this person's not GM, this person's not a pro, but they can see things that I can't see and take that approach to it. It's definitely a way to improve yourself as a gamer. I've really seen a lot of good conversations come from that. So this section of the podcast, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have our resident Terran player, Wade, express some things he struggles with against Zerg specifically and have Neuro maybe give some general feedback and some things to think about. I'm ready. Yes. Oh, Jesus. Um, okay, I very easily struggle against a lot of Infest of Roach Ravager. Uh, in my, against when I play Bio, I find I'm not finding Infestors and they're, you know, they're getting fungled and then it's just a, bi a whole bunch of corrosive Bio coming down. I have no idea how to beat that other than I don't know, maybe try and get a drop to the other side of the map and pull them back. Like, I can't, I just can't do it. Well, Roach Ravager and Fester is kind of like Protoss compositions where it functions very well as a single unit, but it needs to be all together in one place. So if you're against Lingbane Muta, a lot of times you can push into a Zerg's expansion with all your stuff and trade very cost efficiently. If you push with a clump of bio into Roach Ravager and Fester, they're going to fungle you and bio you and blow up all your stuff. So you want to think of being the wide fighter in that situation where instead of just doing one drop to the side, what if you took all your medivacs worth of stuff and went two sides and attacked two bases that are very far from each other? Roach Ravager and Fester is horrible for base racing. They don't have a spire for air units. So if you play that sort of counterattack focused play by virtue of them having a strong, sturdy, slow ground army, you have the edge of maneuver. So you want to abuse Zerg's lack of Mutalist, Corruptor, and Hydra to deal with your medivacs and that sort of multi-pronged play. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
That's the Another only one. thing Wade struggles with. He has her uh, figured out except for that. <laughs> oh, yeah, completely. Uh, I know absolutely <laughs> everything there is to know about beating Zerg other than that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, so that's all I've really got because I haven't played in, I don't know, a week, mm -hmm. maybe. So come I back guess, to me. Yeah, let me. I'll see if I, yeah. I have a suggestion. Let me give you a suggestion. So one thing I've noticed is that the excellent Terran players that I watch on stream or replays that I cast that terrify me the most are the ones who can do multi-pronged harassment. They can drop you at four places at once, get efficient damage done at every one of those, and just slowly bleed you to death throughout the entire game. Is there a way to learn how to do that, or is that more like a high-level course where you need to master 18 smaller things before you start doing anything that complex? Well, the basic mechanic that I highly recommend that a lot of people don't integrate but is a feature of Legacy of the Void is the add steel and create steel commands in your hotkey setup. So the default is you have an ability to add units to a control group to create one, or you can press Alt to add steel or create steel. They added those for Archon mode, so you could very cleanly take ownership of some units from your ally in a way that you weren't pulling them back and forth and trying to use them in different directions. But it works really well for 1v1. Take an example. You have 10 medivacs worth of stuff with marines, marauders, whatever, mines, and it's all kind of in one group, one hotkey. If you notice that Zerg player is going for a sturdy, slow army like Rotravager and Fester, you could box half of it and then add it to a different group with the steel command and it gets pulled away from your main army, and then you can boost those two groups away from each other and around, like I was saying before, and do a multi-prong. You could do this for three groups or four groups if you wanted to. And you don't even need to put them in hotkeys necessarily. You could just do the box micro, do the shift rally command, send it to a base, and unload the units. One of the biggest things that makes players successful in ZDT and really all the matchups, is your ability to use shift rally commands for stuff like drops, where you can rally it around the map and then shift unload it, let the units unload, try and get the best value you can. But just the mechanical efficiency of control group management, I would say, is a, a really big edge in ZVT. I've been told, and I agree with this, that ZVT is a very mechanics-focused matchup. The person who is better with their keyboard and mouse is going to have a really big edge, it's not as volatile as ZVT, or sorry, ZVZ, and it's not as strategic as ZVP. It's more of just how effectively can I take great engagements over time, have a better economy, and do more multi-pronged harass against you and win. Because the compositions are no secret. Lingbane Muta versus Biomine. Oh my god, it's been around since Wings of Liberty. It doesn't really change. So it's less of the, the trickery that you would see from Protoss, and it's more of the muscle of how well you can move your camera, move your stuff, upgrade, produce. So much to think about, Wade. Yeah, I'm rapidly typing on my tablet, trying to take <laughs> all the informations down. Good thing this is being recorded, too. I know. Why didn't I, I do that? Such, such a modern-day miracle, these recordings we can do. What are your thoughts on the current state of Mech, Neuro? Mech is awesome at the moment. With Gumiho... Winning GSL Code S with it, it kind of, it settles things in the sense that mech can be very successful at the highest level. So there are a few different types of mech. It's usually reduced. People just think about, oh, mechy units, it's, it's one thing. You can play 
a very aggressive, sturdy mech. Basically, what that is, is you have a sequence of timings where you take trades with the opponent with high-quality units that you intend to lose, and then you have a base that was taken behind that. So an example would be a Hellbat Banshee push, and then you make Tank Thor behind it to defend a third base. That would be an assertive mech opening. You also have the hyper-defensive ones, like Planetary Fortress, Mass Raven with some tanks for defense. You have Speed Mech, which is a bunch of Hellions and Cyclones that are running around the map trying to outmaneuver the opponent and take trades. So it's so diverse as a tool set that it's difficult to kind of categorize it as is mech good or bad right now. It usually depends on who's playing the match better. At my level, there are mech players who can trounce me, and there are mech players who I just have their number and I know what their strategy and plan is like and I can just outplay them. The same principle applies. It's a very mechanics-focused matchup. But with mech, stuff tends to blow up faster, and the movements need to be more careful. It's not as forgiving in the sense of you can't retreat a huge big mech army the same way you can retreat with some boosted medibacks for bio. So what mech strategy would you say is giving you the most trouble right now, and why? Mm, I'm not sure that it's anything in particular. The... The one that's probably the mechanically most difficult to deal with is it's a really nice combo drop opener where Terran makes four Hellions pretty quick to take an initiative. They add a Medivac and an Armory, and then they do a Hellbat drop with a Liberator at a different base at the same time. It's just a really strong multi-punch with pretty sturdy mech-ish units, and then you add on some factories behind that. So usually if they involve multi-prong stuff, it's more difficult than single-prong. If they just have one mass of things and Zerg masses queens, ah, that's easy enough. You just micro your queens and transfuse. But if you attack in multiple places, there are multiple opportunities for the opponent to make a mistake. And most people who play StarCraft have very, very bad camera control. They're not using their camera location hotkeys very effectively, and usually they'll tunnel vision on something they perceive to be a threat. There's actually a movie that I would really recommend that has a lot of things you can think about related to StarCraft and strategy. It's called Revolver. Have you heard of that? 2006, Jason Statham. I am aware of the movie. I didn't realize it was uh, educational in any way. There's a lot about an opponent thinking about your opponent, thinking about giving your opponent pieces that they think that they can control in a situation which distracts them from your real plan. And StarCraft has a lot of those opportunities where you can go for something and the opponent sees it and they're like, oh, this is stupid. That's easy. I can defend this. And they tunnel vision super hard on the fight that they're watching themselves win. And there's one Liberator in a different base that just killed 14 drones. And then the Terran wins. (laughs) So it's that sort of thing. You have to really be on guard and expect yourself to be tricked always. You don't want to assume, oh, my opponent's just an idiot. They made a mistake there. A lot of times they'll make what seems to be a mistake, but it was purely a distraction for their real plan. And this movie talks a lot about that, about knowing yourself, knowing your internal dialogue, your internal voice, and holding yourself accountable to being as good of a strategist as you can. Highly recommend the movie. It's probably probably in my top three favorite movies. It's not very highly rated, because there are a lot of plot holes where it doesn't tell you explicitly who is who or what's going on right here, but it adds for a really great discussion. Different viewers can 
interpret situations different ways. And I love that in films. Yeah, it's Guy Ritchie. I didn't realize that. I'll have to put this on the list for sure now. Love him. All right, so this is that's one of your top three films. What are the other two in that top three? Mm, probably the first Matrix movie. And for obvious reasons, it's incredible. Yeah. I was going to say... the other ones? <laughs> <laughs> the other ones are, are pretty fun, but it's not quite as believable i guess because you kind of the magic kicks in and you're like all right what what is this what is this universe the lord of the rings stuff i'm a big tolkien fan so those films i really like the books i love as well i've read the silmarillion and the hobbit too that's a really high quality stuff the best high fantasy world in my opinion but i haven't read harry potter so i can't i can't say maybe that's better some people love that yeah, Tolkien is basically the grandfather, the godfather of all modern fantasy. You read anything written after him and everybody's borrowing from stuff that he did for sure. Not that that's bad. I mean, everything's a remix. Everyone's standing on the shoulders of giants. But Isaac if you Newton. look for it, yeah, Isaac Newton said that. And same thing. It's the same thing in science and science fiction. Uh, but yeah, it's not an it's not an insult to say that. But some of the best fantasy that I've read over the last 10 years has definitely, if you look at it, borrowed a lot from what Tolkien did and that's just goes to speak of how great great he was for sure Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood is my favorite anime Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood love it so much have you seen that Wade? Uh, I've seen about half of it (gasps) you gave up halfway through? Uh, I think I got delayed or it left Netflix or something and then I just Uh. never got back to it Um, I should have a look and see how it is on Netflix now but where have I seen up to? I don't even remember what happened. I'll have to go back and rewatch it. But isn't there two Metal Gear Alchemist season? Uh, yeah. Different shows because they finished one before the uh, manga was complete and it has like a completely different ending. And so they had to go back and remake a whole new show or something. Yep. Yeah, I've only watched Brotherhood. You don't need to watch the first one to enjoy the second one. It fills you in from the beginning. So if you watch both, then a lot of the second one feels redundant for the first half or so. Okay. Yeah, but that's exactly what happened. The TV show outpaced the manga, and so they were like, oh, I guess we should write our own ending, and then it wasn't as good as what the manga ended up being, and they just recreated it for the writing. And yeah, it's great. Brotherhood is wonderful. Taking top of Gurren Lagann as well. Oh, I love Gurren Lagann. Yes. That was a good I've, I've never heard of this one. Taking top of Gurren Lagann. It's the mech anime that knows it's a mech anime and knows that there are so many other good ones but it's the best it <laughs> understands what the tropes are and it kind of raises all of those expectations of oh well what if it just transformed into an even more powerful thing it's it's funny <laughs> and it's very tongue-in-cheek too where it's not taking itself seriously but there are a lot of really good themes about the human spirit your fighting spirit really finding your meaning and purpose and taking some risks to make some really big gains in life. There are some other themes of suicide, looking out for other people, memories of people who have passed. It's It's got the nice combination between being adult and being really silly. So it's uh, very genre savvy is what you're saying and understands what it is and is able to leverage that. Yeah, it's a self-aware production for sure. And Full Metal is not on Australian Netflix at the moment. So. Nah. Yeah. Well, they're, they're... Australia. There may be some other ways 
maybe some other ways to access that. We won't discuss that on the podcast. Yeah. So that's some good stuff. That's some good stuff that's out there for anybody listening to the podcast right now. Uh, let's switch gears a little bit. Wade recently had a cinema experience that maybe wasn't as excellent. You want to fill us in, Wade? Uh, God. Transformers The Last Night is a steaming pile of, well, you can pretty much guess. Um, but Wade, but Wade, it has Anthony Hopkins in it. How is this possible? Uh, I mean, Anthony Hopkins is a respected actor, definitely one of my favorites. Hannibal Lecter is a pretty good performance. But when you put Anthony Hopkins and make him say, man, that car is bitchin', it somehow loses the effect and prestige. <laughs> oh, Michael Bay, why? But was it actually bitchin'? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was a nice car, but I, I don't have an awful lot of interest in such things. So, mm. uh, yeah. Now, I refused any of my money to actually go towards the movie, so my brother kindly paid for the tickets and I bought popcorn and drinks, which mm. seemed like a fair trade. That's pretty straight up. I, isn't that like 50-50? Where I am, that's about 50-50. Sort of. Uh, it, the tickets were about Forty-four dollars for the two of us. Woo. The dr- the drinks were and popcorn were about thirty-five for the both of us. Okay. So. What? Hang on. What's it cost for a uh, like a weeknight new showing? Uh, for an adult ticket on any other weeknight other than Tuesday, it's about twenty-two dollars. Twenty-two dollars. Yeah. Australian dollars. Australian dollars. Dollary dues. Yeah. Dollary dues. <laughs> What's the, hang on, US to Australian dollar converter. It's pretty close. That's pretty close. It's 1.27 Australian dollars to the one US dollar. So that's, oh, that's a bunch. Man, They everything's expensive down there, isn't it? Video games are expensive. Uh, yeah, don't even get me started. <laughs> so here's the thing, here's the thing with Transformers. I think we've talked about this before, but the reason Transformers movies get made, the reason new Pirates of the Caribbean movies get made is because they are hugely popular in international non-English speaking markets, specifically China for the most part. And so if you if you watch Transformers and say how did this garbage get made and how is there going to be another one and in a couple of years, the answer is foreign markets. It sounds less stupid if it's not in your native language. <laughs> that, that is true. I would believe that Transformers is actually a better movie in Chinese uh, than it is in English. I, I'd hope it's at least more consistent. So, so give us another highlight. Other than Anthony Hopkins commenting on the quality of a vehicle, what other parts made your eyeballs roll back into your head? Okay. Um, do you guys care about spoilers? Not even the tiniest bit. If you're listening and you care about spoilers, skip ahead, like, I don't know, two minutes. Maybe. Maybe. So things happen uh, differently. So there's one part where a character will use a kind of bubble-producing gun that can slow time everything in there. And the bubble works in two different ways when they use it. Like, in one way, uh, they use it to catch falling humans. Like, Optimus grabs some falling humans, which implies that that would slow their momentum as well as their you know time and compared to rel- like relatively to us and then another time they freeze megatron and they fire a bunch of bullets into it and then when the bubble pops the bullets keep going at the same velocity 
because they weren't slowed. It's little inconsistencies like that that just don't make any sense when it should tear the main characters in half when they get caught by a Transformer. Yeah. So these kind of movies are, they are all about the rule of cool. And so if it looks cool and it works for that, the science behind it is entirely ignored. I guarantee nobody on the set of that movie involved in the production asked that question that you just asked. Not a single no, time. Not. No. I, uh, it, it doubly hurts when they have like a 10 minute bit where a character is entirely devoted that, you know, we should try and use physics and science to solve this problem and i'm not going to leave it up to your transformers voodoo magic witchcraft we're going to solve it with physics and then you know they completely ignore the fact that an entire another planet is crashing down onto theirs and is still there at the end of the movie no worries it's fine everything will be okay Hmm. two planets in orbit next to each other with one's hooks buried into the other makes sense (laughs) no no gravitational anomalies there no. No. Like I said, everything is cool. Don't think about it too hard. <laughs> this has been a conversation on suspension of disbelief. <laughs> it yeah. has. Oh, so that's that's it, right? A lot of I feel like most people have a stronger ability to suspend disbelief than I don't know. Maybe maybe we do. Me and Wade anyway. I'm not sure about your position on this neuro, but I was talking to one of my coworkers and he said that he has good suspension of disbelief for things like uh, science usage and magic and plot holes but if there's a cup of water in the background and it cuts away for a second and comes back and that cup is now half full and nobody was shown drinking it he is going to find you and kill you like that is the stuff that catches his attention and drives him nuts and it's just I don't know people have different stuff they they gravitate towards and bothers them and it's just interesting to see the difference well I think the most important thing is the consistency within the rule set that you create in the narrative if you Amen. create rules about a system, like in Full Metal Alchemist, you have alchemy. It's basically magic. It's kind of a, a sciency magic that is used. If you establish the properties and they abide by the rules, then you can suspend your disbelief because it's fiction. You accept those aspects and you can move on. If there's inconsistency within that, that can cause problems. But one of the things that's difficult if you're trying to make a semi-realistic sci-fi production you want to just have maybe a conversation or two with the physicist or the chemist or something about what would this actually look like? And I feel like it wouldn't take very much time or money to have that conversation and pay a physicist for a lunch one day and make the movie a lot better. But like you're saying, it's not really the target demographics problem with the film. They don't care. I want to see robots fight. Did robots fight in this movie? Yes. I'm going to go to the next one. This was great. Did stuff blow up? I am further invested in this franchise. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah. So that's that's something that bothers me about the Star Wars and Harry Potter universes in general, is that they have magic systems. I mean, the Force isn't. It's magic. They don't call it magic, but it is. But it's never explained. There are no rules. There is no established parameter for how this works. What Any restrictions. What do you mean? The Force is absolutely explained. It's all tied into your blood count and your metachlorians, remember? Yeah, but th- that's not an explanation. <laughs> that is the furthest thing from an explanation I've ever heard. Well, it just raises the question, what are midichlorians? Yeah. Yes. Saying if you're strong with the Force, if you have a lot of midichlorians, doesn't, doesn't tell me anything, period. 
So that's why I can't. I love the Harry Potter universe. I love the Star Wars universe. Uh, it makes it brings emotions out in me when I see X wings flying six inches above the water. I just I squeal with delight. But if you look at the systems of magic in either that or the Harry Potter universe, they are so so lacking. No time was taken to figure out exactly how this works. It's just it's whatever's convenient to the plot. Whatever I need it to do at the time, it's going to be able to do. And it just it just feels so lazy, and it's such a just a missing piece in franchises that are otherwise very excellent. Yeah, I think part of that is trying to balance the level of mystery that you want and how much you want to tell the viewers. Because if you reveal the the tricks behind the magic, then it can lose some of its mystique. So that might be part of the motivation. It could also just be laziness, but there is that sort of arcane element of no one knows how this works not even the people who use it it's just something that's active in the universe and who knows what it's going to do next there's that sort of awareness of i'm ready for something new to happen with this magic system that's never been fully explained because it could be anything that's a good point i really i think you're right about that i think for george lucas at least he wants the force to be mystical he wants it to be mysterious that gives it a certain edge that a fully explained fully fleshed out system doesn't have Mm. um like for example have you read any of the brandon sanderson fantasy novels no okay so he is a more recent fantasy author got started uh, 10 or 20 years ago and he does extremely well thought out magic systems and it's a different system for every book series that he does. And so in one, probably one of the more popular series, it's called Mistborn. There are people who when they ingest certain metals like copper or tin, you put it in flakes and water and, and drink it. When you ingest it, it gives you very specific powers based on what kind of metals you ingest. And he's got a whole system for it. When you run out of the metals, your powers are gone. You're entirely powerless, depending on how much there are. You can use strong abilities that uses up your um, your resources more quickly or just lighter effects that use it more slowly. And he's extremely strict in making sure that he's adhering to his own rules within the universe. And I respect it so much. But yeah, it doesn't have the mystique that the Force does. It's kind of the... That's going to be the trade-off. Whereas one person might enjoy... The more, uh, more written out, more thought out, more expressly, I don't know, expressly express magic system compared to one that isn't, and then vice versa. Just, it's just all about preference. Yeah, part of that ties in with why a lot of people consider Star Wars to be more of a space opera rather than a science fiction, where the setting is in space and there are ships and technology, but that's not precisely the point of it. It's still more about the politics of the different factions and the drama that develops between the characters and the betrayal and all that sort of thing. Less so than really trying to establish new science fiction literature that thinks about the future and what that might look like. I think Star Trek is more science fiction where Star Wars is more space opera. Uh, I, I think I disagree with you on that one. Star Wars is social social awareness and conversation in space. It has little to no interest in the science fiction behind anything that it does. Uh, some of the scripts from the Star Trek The Next Generation show, there are literally lines where they say, insert techno babble here. We're having a conversation about something. Something's broken. We don't care what it is. 
We do not care about being internally consistent with how this whole thing works. Make up whatever you want because the important thing is we talk about getting along with each other and uh, other human aspects of living compared to the science fiction of it. Mm. Yeah, well, that's the the key thing that has to be the anchor for any successful production is you need a way for the viewer to relate to what's going on. And that's that's part of why a lot of it is it feels very familiar when you watch the the Star Wars and the Star Trek and that sort of thing is if you make it too distant and too strange, then a lot of the viewers aren't going to feel like anything resonates with them. I don't know what any of this is like. It's all very futuristic and different. So having some main characters that are still very human and like you're saying, a lot of the social interaction and conversation that feels very familiar and close to home is a really important part of it. Absolutely. And yeah, you definitely want to have that human interaction, the the um, the universally applicable lessons that everybody can take something from for sure. But I feel like you can do both. I feel like you can have an internally consistent uh, science fiction base that you rely upon. It doesn't have to be the focus of the show. It doesn't have to alienate your viewers because there's nothing human about it. But I just I would prefer that if you're going to do something like this in space that you actually be just internally consistent with what you've set forth. While, you know, having to focus on the on the human side of things. I've, I've heard that The Expanse does a very good job of this. You heard of The Expanse, either of you? What is that? It's called The Expanse. It's on the Sci-Fi Network. And I know what you're saying. Sci-Fi, that's where Sharknado came from. True. That it, do, you know, do you know what Sharknado is, Wade? I've heard of it. I actually have a How to Survive a Sharknado guidebook. <laughs> but I've never seen the movie. <laughs> Uh, neither have I. Neither have I. But it's it's just a silly, um, what if there were tornadoes that sucked up sharks from the ocean and deposited them on the land? It's incredibly, incredibly campy. But uh, The Expanse, The Expanse is a science fiction show that does a really good job having good characters and good plots and everything. And it's all about the people in space. But does a fantastic job with making good science, good base of science. Like there's no sound in space, which everybody mostly ignores. Um, they do a good job with that, and there's different battles and things. But I should give it a shot because this is making me want to watch some sci-fi and something that I haven't seen before. So maybe I'll pull it up after this. The Expanse. Nice. Nice. I'll see if I can find it somewhere in Australia, but who knows? Who even knows? Hit and miss. Yeah. Hit and miss experience. Orphan Black is one that I was recommended recently. I've watched the first three episodes. It's Did about you say Orphan Black. Orphan Black is so good. I'm only three episodes in, and I think I know what the premise is. No spoiler. <laughs> no spoilers. I. But oh, it seems pretty well done. It is very well done. I'm at, It's on the last season right now. They're airing it. Mm. Um. And so we're catching that on BBC America right now, and it's good. It's really good. It's. Oh, man, I can't really talk about what I most love about the show without spoiling it all to pieces, which is bad. But just if you can get it, Wade. Uh, get it. I've only just heard of it. Oh. <laughs> just saying, if you have access to it anywhere, is there like a BBC Australia? Uh, I think it's just called BBC here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. More more recent colony. <laughs> Uh, it might be on netflix what is yeah orphan black is on netflix here it is oh yes yes put it on your list right now add it to your queue 
what? My price is going up. I I feel like I should say I'm surprised, but I'm not surprised. <laughs> no, I'm not surprised either. <laughs> Alright, it is on my list. Excellent. Okay, we'll talk about that next time. We'll talk about some Orphan Black. So everybody listening too, if you don't want to be spoiled about Orphan Black, go watch the first couple episodes before next week. Because we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk. I've heard, Nero, you have a new feature on your YouTube channel. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yes, sir. So we call it World Discussion with Agent Smith. He is a highly educated person. Basically, his hobby as an individual, rather than play games, which sometimes he does, he browses the web for world news, not just American news or European news. Countries like Qatar, Venezuela, Brazil, Germany. He's looking at the big picture all the time. That's just his hobby. So he has a vast amount of knowledge about all the different theaters from World War One to World War Two, the conflicts in the Gulf War, all these different types of things to an immense level. And he's a real life friend of mine. And I thought it would be a really nice way to enrich the product. There are a lot of people on Twitch who and YouTube who just talk about stuff without any background knowledge on that front. So this is an opportunity where you can get someone who has a huge store of knowledge. The chat can probe him for questions and then he can just run and tell stories and interact with them and that sort of thing. He has a very neutral perspective, so it never really feels like he's preaching to you or telling you to think about stuff in a certain way. He just tells you the actors and the action, who was involved and what happened with those pieces kind of moving on the board. So it's been super fantastic. Every Sunday we do this, and it's usually around two hours to four hours. There'll probably be a link for that somewhere. You can search Neuro Agent Smith YouTube, and it'll be there. Yeah, Agent Smith. Does that have a Matrix influence? Yes. That was part of the the fun choice in the pseudonym. Is He didn't want to give his real name, but he he likes Matrix as well. So that's a fun fun one to go with. And you got to call him something. So yeah, yep. Agent Smith is wonderful. I like it a lot. I was going to say, uh, Agent Smith links will be in the show notes for the listeners. So. Yeah, a lot of show notes this time. So be sure to check those ones out. Well, I think we're coming up to the uh, the time we said you keep you for neuro. So, is there anything else you want to plug or anything else you want to talk about that you feel is important to get out to our audience? Well, there was one heavy topic that I covered in a recent YouTube video on depression. So my closest friend in university and after, the guy who made Neuro possible, he paid my rent while I was building up the StarCraft stream, and he passed recently. He had major depression for probably 12 years and took his life about a month ago. Mm. So that's been super hard, and a big thing that I've been trying to pick up is really moving forward the dialogue about what depression is and how it's a real mental illness. It has a huge impact on the economies of countries in the world, just basic stuff like productivity. And it's not the same thing as sadness. So the video that I did is about seven minutes. You can probably place a link to that in the details as well. But it's it's a hard topic. It's not really super fun to talk about, but it's one that's super important. Pretty much everyone's gonna know someone who has had a depressive episode. It's around five to 15 percent of the population i've never been depressed i've been sad i've been dumped by girlfriends before and you're like oh am i am i a good 
boyfriend? Am I a good partner? That sort of thing. Am I worth anything? But you kind of pick yourself up and you're good again. But there's a key difference between sadness and grief, which are very powerful emotions that you experience, very vibrant emotions, whereas depression is more of a numbness of experience where you lack energy, you lack motivation, you don't feel like you contribute to society and that you're a burden to others and the world is kind of passing you by. So it's a really difficult thing. And one thing to bear in mind is every time you talk to anyone, you don't know their full mental state. So if you can just be positive, if you can be uplifting, hope for the best in people, wish them well, just be non-judgmental, that sort of thing, you never know who really might need that on that particular day. So that was a very visceral wake-up call for me for our mortality as humans, but also how real depression is and the impact it has on society. Well, I don't think we could end on a more important message. Definitely echo everything that Neuro has to say there. I do appreciate you also helping to clarify what is the difference between being sad and being depressed. And I think that was a really good way to explain it. So. Thanks for that. And unless Wade has something else to wrap up with. Uh, I did want to quickly ask you guys what you thought about StarCraft's war chest. Oh, dude. <laughs> that, that has been the talk of the town for the past few days. So as a streamer, it's one of those things where there will be a little bit of a chat boxing match for a couple hours of different people who have different opinions about how Blizzard should do this, how they should give us the skins. Some people saying oh, well, it's great that they incentivize both supporting the scene and also playing the game. Some people say, just give me the skins already. I'll pay the money and just give it to me. <laughs> so it's it's one of those where there isn't really a clear, correct answer, and people are getting very hyped up about it. They're debating it a lot, but I'm really happy to see that they're expanding the amount of skins they're adding to the game and also just putting more money into it because the StarCraft scene is incredibly passionate. There was a period around, I think, middle of last year, basically when Overwatch was really picking up a full head of steam, where a lot of StarCraft streamers were thinking, do we need to do a Fenner and switch over to Overwatch? Is StarCraft going to be financially viable for us in 2017? And turns out, what StarCraft scene lacks in viewership, it makes up for an enthusiasm. The people who watch and play StarCraft are so hyped about it, they love it so much that they really want to see all this stuff continue. So the content creation, the streaming, all that type of thing, it's it's very alive and viable currently. And the War Chest is just another cool addition that we never had before. This is the first time we've had it leading up to the BlizzCon finals. And it's just nice. It's a nice way for players to distinguish themselves in the game. If you can't be a god at the game, which... It's super hard to play StarCraft. You can at least look cool while you die to a two-base all-in. <laughs> it is a little annoying, though, that if you... Let's say I was to buy the war chest for all three races, that's $24 or something. But then if I can't play and earn the rest of the skins, all I've got is three worker skins, and then at the end of the time, I then have to rebuy all the others. Right. Have you considered flipping a table? <laughs> um no i've monitors and stuff on all my tables i don't think i could flip any of them without hundreds of dollars of <laughs> replacing equipment i don't want to well, do that you could get a table just dedicated <laughs> for tilt management <laughs> it's not about it you know what i'll flip my roommate's table he doesn't use it oh right. that's brilliant put a sign on it that says for flipping 
Yeah. He <laughs> won't like that. It's got his monitors on it, but that doesn't bother me. <laughs> well, maybe you could ask if he's cool with this. Hey, I'm no, really pissed s- off. I need to flip a table, and you've got a nice table. All right, so let's wrap it up. Uh, thanks for listening to the Falcon Paladin Hour. Thanks especially to Wade for putting it all together, being the producer and co-host, and our special guest, Neuro. Please check him out on YouTube and on Twitch. He's an awesome dude with a lot of passion for StarCraft, and if you're listening to this, you likely have the same amount of passion. Please hit that subscribe. Catch us every single week. We're not asking for much. Just a subscribe. It doesn't cost you anything. And a review. Remember the review on iTunes. We'll appreciate it very much if you do that as well. And until next time, as always, thank you for listening and being with us on the hour. And you take care of yourself. Once we thought that we'll stay young And these worthies never go But when I opened up my eyes, I said Grow old with me Will you age here by my side And stay beautiful for life Oh, fade away in the darkness And leave me here This world is a cold place without If you